Our message today comes from Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew, the first gospel, first book of the New Testament, is where we will be um, this morning. I want to give a, a quick shout out, though, to if, if you um, are a youth ministry volunteer for this weekend, a host home, or you um, helped cook some food. I know a lot of you did that, but you didn't host a home. If, if that's you, would you stand up, please? Um, because you gave, yeah, that, that's you guys, uh, uh, somewhere in there. Um, there we go. You guys gave, um, there's, there's others uh, maybe coming to the next service. You guys gave of your time this weekend um, and uh, you uh, gave up your home to the smell of axe and boys. So uh, that's, that's uh, especially the house I was staying in. You, you stayed upstairs, walked down the steps of the Leadbetters and kind of turned the curve and you're just like Woof, right there. And it's like the smell of sweat, axe, hairspray, and then who knows, like an unknown odor, you know, that comes out after that. And you're like, what is that? But it's such a, such a good time this weekend. Uh, we've been studying the gospel um, of, of all things. The one thing that we can never get enough of, um, we've been studying that this weekend. Our theme, um, as you see on the screen, on our shirts, everywhere, is deeper in the gospel. The whole point was that the gospel is not something that just saves us, and then that's kind of it. And we hear the good news once, and then we're done. The gospel is something that we grow deeper into every single day. Um, and we studied that this weekend with, uh, like session one yesterday, was Jesus in our place. We have to understand what the gospel is first before we can grow deeper in that. We understood that Jesus um, is our, the gospel, excuse me, is our security, it's our security. The gospel is greater than anything else we could uh, search for. And then this morning, we're going to be looking at the fact that the gospel empowers us to live changed lives um, that are bold in our faith for Jesus. The title of this morning's message is Knowing Who Changes How. Knowing who changes how. This morning, I'm glad that you guys get to wrap up our weekend with us because you get to see what we've studied all weekend kind of in a snapshot. And you're going to see this morning that if we truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, as the church, us, if we truly believe Jesus is who he says he is, that always, 
always, always changes how we respond to him. If we truly believe that he is who he says he is, that changes our response to him and what he asks us to do. I don't know if you ever heard of a story of the guy. His name was Charles Blondin. Many of you may have heard of him. He was a French acrobat and tightrope walker. This guy was in the uh, mid-19th century. Um, he was so good and got world-renowned because he would, um, he would get on a tightrope, many times just about three inches in diameter, and he would walk these, these long spans. He got so good that he would actually he placed the tightrope in the Niagara Gorge, and placed from one side to the other, um, and it was about a little over a thousand feet high, many yards long, so over a football field in length, and he would just walk across the tightrope over that. Many of you are like your palms are sweating right now thinking about that. He got so good that he wouldn't just do that. He began uh, putting stuff in a wheelbarrow and pushing it across, making it all the way across. He then got so good that he got out there, balanced a chair on one leg on the tightrope and stood on top of the chair. He then took it a step further and he took, his, he took him a little griddle and some eggs and he went out there and in the middle of the Niagara Gorge made himself an omelet on this thing. You can, you can Wikipedia this guy if you're not believing this. Like he really did this. And then what he did after he, I mean, he, he got so good. He could do all of this. Like he would go across on stilts, you know, so it's not like he's high enough already. He would then get much higher and walk across this on stilts. He got so good that he, he came over to the crowd that was there to watch him one day. And he looked at them and he said, he said, do you believe I can do anything across here? And they were like, yeah, we believe that. He said, do you believe I could carry one of you on my back? And they were like, yeah, we believe that. He said, which one do you want to come? <laughs> and nobody, like no, nobody responded. He was like, no, if you, if you really believe I can do it, which one of you want to, want to come on my back and, and go across and nobody responded eventually his 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 manager did because i guess he figured he had to but nobody from the crowd um responded they they all had seen this guy do amazing things i mean he cooked himself an omelet and I, some of you have trouble cooking an omelet anyway he cooked himself an omelet on a tightrope a thousand feet high and they witnessed him do these things, and yet they still, they still would not get on his back. Now, what does that tell us about those people? They, they believed that Charles Blondin was the man. You know, they believed this guy was a phenomenal tightrope walker. They believed he could do anything. But whenever it was put to the test, their belief in what he could do, no one responded. This morning, when we get into this text, we're going to see... Jesus' disciples, and ultimately we're going to see how we respond in the very same way. If we believe Jesus is who he says he is all through Scripture, and that he can do everything he said he could do, that changes how we respond to him. It must. For some of you, it will change because um, you are still on the outside kind of looking in and saying, I don't know that I really want to be a part of this, of like, what Jesus has to offer, like it sounds kind of good. Some of my friends are a part of it, but I don't know that that's me. And you're looking in and you're like, I don't know that I really believe Jesus is who he says he is, or that he's the savior of the world, and I just don't know if I'm there yet. Some of you, on the other hand, you uh, know Christ and you've walked with him um, for a majority of your life, but you, you are at this point in your life where you're like, you know, I, I don't know that I'm ready to take an extra step in my faith. I'm kind of comfortable for where I am today. I, like, I don't, I don't need to jump on his back, so to speak. 
I believe that he is, that, that he, can, he can do anything. And I believe what the scripture says about him, but I just hope it doesn't get personal and he doesn't come to me and say, will you jump on my back? And if some of you today are in here and, and you, you're, you've, already, you've already kind of jumped and you're just hoping that he can continue to carry you. And this morning we're going to look and see that, that Jesus who um, walked on the water that we're going to see about in just a second is a Jesus who uh, can pull you, reach down, and pick you up in whatever situation you're in. So let's look at our text together. Our first truth this morning, we have two, is that Jesus is powerful over your storm. Jesus is powerful over your storm. I want us to look at verse 22, but kind of what goes before that, if you, if you have your Bible and you see the section of Scripture that falls before verse 22, is that Jesus has just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. So some estimates say that that was upwards of 20,000 people. Jesus, um, they, they, they bring to him just a few loaves and a few fishes, and he ends up just like making it work to where there's enough for everybody. It's a huge miracle. What would be just like one fish and one loaf for us? And we're like, how are we going to split this among ourselves? He makes it just multiply and it goes to everybody. And his disciples have just witnessed this. And what's going on here is the people who've just saw Jesus do this, they want to make him king. They're like, look, we want you to come be our king. All right, we want you to take over Rome. If you can multiply fish and you can multiply bread, we want you to go like kick the Romans out of here and we want you to take over. So they're kind of uh, wanting to make Jesus king. And he, he says to his disciples, he says, look, y'all got to get in the boat and you got to get to the other side of the lake. I've got to go spend some time alone. So he sends his disciples out um, across the lake and he then goes and, and he, he goes up on a mountain. He goes up to pray. And one thing um, that we can see already is Jesus, at this moment, already in our story, is setting his disciples up to see and show them that he is the Savior of this world. He's already, they've already seen him feed 5,000 people, but you will see in our text, he, that, that's, not, that's not done enough for them yet. And he's going to show them. So what happens is they begin rowing. And they just, or they begin setting sail out to go, uh, there's about a five-mile stretch that they had to go from where they were to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And what should have just been a little time span, it says in our text, it says he made his disciples get into a boat. After he dismissed the crowd, this is verse 23, he went up on a mountain to pray by himself. Verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the wind and the waves. And we see that this came at the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night was somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. What should have just been a, a short journey to make it five miles. Here you have these disciples. And they, what, what could have just, they could have sailed over there. They've been out rowing. And they are just rowing, trying their hardest to get across the sea. And they just can't do it. Like the wind was literally in their face. And they're, and they're rowing, and they're rowing. And, and you can imagine the wind not only being in their face, but the waves are just crashing up. And they're, they're probably facing, they've already seen Jesus calm a storm at this point. But what they're realizing is that this storm is tormenting them. Like they can't make it across the lake. They can't do it. They're, they're trying, but they just can't seem to do it. They're facing being tired, being anxious. They're fatigued. And desperation from his disciples has now set in by this point. Because they're looking and they're realizing we should have already been across and we're nowhere close. 
and they're facing those things. How many of you come in here this morning and you are facing those exact same feelings his disciples had? Lack of faith in Jesus to be able to do something in your life that you want and desire for him to do. You are going through a situation, maybe it's in your marriage, and you're going through a situation, and it has just got you fatigued, and you're like, I don't know that I can do this any longer. Maybe it's a medical condition, and you're just like, God, I've seen you work before in other people's lives, and I just hope that you do this in mine. And you've tried, and you've tried, and you're struggling, and you're desperate. Many of you have walked in here this morning with so many situations that you are facing, and you're facing the same things his disciples did, and that is desperation, and that is being crippled by fear. And we see that it's at this moment that Jesus begins to walk to his disciples. Because it's in our weakness, just like it was in theirs, it's in our weakness that Jesus is then made strong. It's in whatever you're facing that you then get to experience the power of God. So what does this say to us here? Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when his disciples saw him, they were terrified. So let's just go ahead and call it what it is. They, they were already fatigued, desperate, and now they look up and they think they've seen a ghost. All right, if their night hasn't gotten any worse, now they look up and they're like, oh no, we're either hallucinating or somebody's come to take us down. All right, we don't know what's going on here. But they're worried, and they look up and they see a ghost. But before we even see that that happens, what, what do we notice? It says that Jesus came walking on the sea. Let's, let, let me go and say this. There are some people, some um, skeptics, some people, maybe even within uh, the church that would think, well, you know, was he just walking on the beach? How did this really work? Let's call the Bible what it really is and say that he was walking on the sea. He was walking on the water. He wasn't kind of, um, as I've read some before, like kind of walking out on a little inlet or walking out on a little, uh, like by the, by the beach and kind of waving his disciples and they look out. No, they'd been trying to row and they had gone several miles out and Jesus came walking to them on the water. So he's already showing them his power. But it says he came walking on the water and he's wanting to show them that his power Listen to this. He's already multiplied a fish. He's already multiplied bread, but he's wanting to show them his power is limitless. The power of God in any situation is limitless. Jesus is showing them that he is sovereign over their situation. There is nothing. They're desperate. They're fatigued. They're worried. They're beaten down. They don't think they're going to make it. And he's showing them, look, I'm sovereign over whatever you're going through. And ultimately, I'm sovereign over you. Yet you're worried and you're afraid, but I'm, I'm sovereign over that situation. Yet you're, you're scared that something's not going to turn out the way it is. I'm in control of that situation, says Jesus. Some of us know this. Like intellectually, we get the idea that Jesus is in control of our situation, but we need to experience that. We need to believe that he truly is in control of whatever it is that we're, we face. And ultimately, his sovereignty brings us comfort. Because if an almighty, all-knowing, perfect God is in control of whatever you're facing, it's in better hands than if it was in yours. Because he's perfect, he's all-knowing, and he knows more about us and about our well-being than we do. We may think we do, but he knows it. So he wants to display his power. So they look at him and they see Jesus walking on the water and they're worried. And they say, is it a ghost? And they cried out in fear. Now think about this. We just read this and we're like, they cried out in fear. Think about it. Like they're, they're tired, they're fatigued and they're rowing and they look out and think they see a ghost and they're scared to death. 
They're so, 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 so scared. And they look and they cry out because they're afraid of what's happening. Look at Jesus' response. It says, immediately Jesus spoke to them and says, take heart, it's me, don't be afraid. Let's read that again. Take heart, the ESV, it says, it is I, don't be afraid. Let me say this, how many of you need to hear that this morning? Jesus looks at them and says, take heart, it's me. Jesus actually at that point says, I am. The same thing that the burning bush when God spoke to Moses said to him out of that bush when Moses said, who am I that you should send me? God says, I am. Jesus is displaying his divinity right here. And he wants everybody that that sees him and everybody that reads this to know when he says, I am, he's not saying, I've almost got this. He's not saying, I may be able to take care of what you're facing, disciples. He says, no, he doesn't say, I will be. He doesn't say, I was. He says, I am. He looks at them and he says, there's no reason for you to be worried because I am. There's no reason for you to fear Because I am. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, take heart, it's me. Don't be afraid. So he was displaying his power and he was giving them courage. He was giving them courage while he was doing this. But let's look at their response. Look at their response. It says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. First off, I just want to say, like, why? Why did he ask that? You know, like, you're standing there, and, and we read this, and we, we know that if you've um, been in church for a long time, you've probably heard people say, you know, Peter's always got a, a kind of dumb response, and he always says something kind of off the wall. But really, when you read this, you look, and you're like, why? You're in a boat, and you think that's a ghost, even though he just said it's me, so he knows now it's God. Why did he say, I want to jump out of here? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. We'll see in a minute why it should make some sense. But what does Peter do? It says that he uh, jumps out of the boat. Now, that's insane enough, but look at this. He jumps out of a boat during a storm. Like, that's insane. He not only jumps out of the boat, he jumps out during a storm, but he actually had faith that if he kept his eyes on Jesus, Christ was able to display his power to him. He believed that. Like we, I, I read that and I'm like, Peter, why would you do that? But the fact is, it says Jesus told him to come on. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And it was in Peter's obedient faith that God displayed his power and his presence. It's in our obedient faith that God displays his power and his presence. We see that all through the Old Testament. We see Abraham and Isaac. What happens? God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac, who is supposed to be your offspring and make you into a multitude of nations. Abraham does what? He goes and he's about to sacrifice him until God gives a substitute. He had obedient faith. We see Moses. Moses is like, God, who am I that I should go take your people out of Israel? God says, I am. Moses goes and we see miraculous things happen after that. We see Ruth that we studied about earlier this year. What did she do? She does some pretty scandalous things, but they're out of obedient faith. And we see that she ends up becoming one of the ancestors of Jesus. We see Gideon, a little fella. He's just threshing wheat out of this hole in the ground because he's so worried that people are going to come take him. But he, in obedient faith, he leads God's people. We see this throughout the whole Old Testament. Obedient faith allows God to display his power and his presence. I saw this um, a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago. I teach at McDowell Tech. I teach um, world religion. And I was teaching a class one day, and I've got, I've got five people in the class. I guess nobody, no more than five people want to sign up. Uh, but I got five people in the class. And um, 
I'm teaching, I've got uh, three people that are in there of which are, are believers. One is not, and, and he's, he's kind of just okay with that. He says, I'm just not a religious guy. And, and one girl in the class um, tends to, to just be really antagonistic toward, toward the gospel, toward faith. I mean, like, like when, whenever I first introduced myself the first day and I said, I'm Adrian Early, da, 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 you know, Grace Community Church, you know, you still don't hear Baptists there. And then I said, you know, I graduated from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and like there's just smirk came across her face like Baptist. And I was like, okay, all right, all right that, that, that's fine. We, we can deal with that. Well, one day, I think it was the last time I preached in here in the adult service. I, it was a Thursday. We have class on Tuesday and Thursday. And we were, uh, I was hoping to get out by about 930. Um, we were supposed to get out at 9.50, and I was hoping to get out of there a little bit early that day, but we just kept going in class, and they kept talking. We were talking about Buddhism, and she asked a question and said, you know, I, I don't remember the exact question, but she says, like, you know, what, what are the people, if they follow Buddhist principles, what, like, what are they if, if they're not Buddhist? And I was like, I guess they're Buddhist, and we're kind of talking, and I, like, I was folding my stuff, like I was about to put my stuff up to go, and she just said, let me ask you a question. And I was sitting there, and honestly, in my heart, I was like, oh, no. I was like, I don't, I don't have time right now. Nor, I mean, I, I love talking to people who have questions about the faith. Like, that's one thing that kind of revs my engine. But I just didn't want to that day. You know, only one cup of coffee that morning, and I had to get over here, you know. So, like, I didn't have time. But I sat there, and I could honestly feel the Lord saying, Adrian, be obedient right now. Be obedient. Talk to this girl. Be obedient. And we were, all the people were sitting there in class, and, and she just began to ask these questions. And she just started asking, and, and it started out with this tone that was just very like, I'm, I'm just fighting everything that you're saying right now. And just stayed calm because I, I was honestly praying. I was like, God, like I, she's, she's smart. I don't know that I can answer some of these questions. I don't know what's going to happen. And I just, I just continued to pray. And I honestly could feel God saying, Adrian, be obedient right now. You don't need to be over at the church. You'll get that sermon done. Just right here is where you need to be. And I remember that. And it was, I ended up seeing by about a 20-minute conversation. Remember, I wanted to get out of there at 930. Class ends at 9.50. We didn't get out until 10.10, okay? So I sat there, and the one thing that happened in that whole conversation, she had just kept talking about, aren't Christians this? Or don't Christians say this? And she, it was just this, like, antagonistic stuff of saying, this is what Christianity is. And I was able in about 10 minutes to, like, unlike ever before to somebody, like, explain the full, like, grace of God to her. And when I used the term grace and talked about how it was God loving us when we didn't deserve it, like, this look came over her face like, well, I've never heard that. And she just, she kind of sat back and what at, at first was like this anger started turning into literally questioning. And we, we talk until about 10, 10 that day. And she comes up to me and she looks and she's like, thank you for listening. And I said, you know, no problem. Like, like I always want to be able to do that and, and talk to you. And she's like, no, but just thank you for listening. And it occurred to me that had I just put my stuff up and left and not been obedient to what God was asking me to do that day, she would still think that Christianity at its core is legalistic and you've got to do this or you've got to do that or you're going to go to hell. She had never heard about the grace, unmerited favor, and mercy of God. And honestly, that day, until that situation, I wasn't prepared to tell her. Like, I wanted to get out of there. But in that obedience, and honestly, like, I, I don't typically have those kind of moments, but it was almost like I, I felt God saying, sit in your seat. Don't even stand up unless you got to stand up to pace. Like, you just sit in your seat. Don't stand up. And it was in an obedient faith that I was able to see this girl, and she still doesn't know the Lord, so you can pray for her. I don't want to mention her name, but we meet on 
Tuesday and Thursday from 8.30 to 9.50. If you remember that, just remember and pray during those times because I would love to see her and the other guy in that class come to faith in Jesus. I would love to see that, and I feel that God has placed me there for that particular purpose, not to teach them about world religion, but to hopefully see them come to faith in Christ. But the, the goal or what happened that day was in obedience. She was able to hear and experience the grace of God. Now, she hasn't received Christ, but hopefully she will. But I think what we need to understand about that and about our passage this morning is that it's in our obedience that we see the power and the presence of God. But look what happened next. Verse 30 says, But when he, this is Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and cried out. We got to notice something here. It says, But when he saw the wind, to say that he saw the wind means he took his eyes off who? Okay, to see the wind means he took his eyes off. Okay, one more time. To see the wind means he took his eyes off of. Okay, to see the wind means he took his eyes off of Jesus. He began to allow his circumstances, the things that he saw around him, he began to allow his circumstances to dictate the truth. The truth was that if he kept his eyes on Jesus, he would stay on top of the water. But when he looked around and saw a rogue wave coming toward him, in the moment that he realized that his circumstances were not in his own hands, it caused fear and he began to sink. Peter, his circumstances caused him, when he looked at them, caused him to to sink because he took his eyes off of Jesus. Before we just begin to kind of hate on Peter for a second, though, let's let's realize something. Um, He jumped out of the boat. What were the other disciples in there doing? They were still in. So, like, we read later and see Jesus say, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And we're like, Peter, man, you're such a doubter. Like, why, why did you do that? Like, you know, if I'd have been him, I would have kept my eyes right on Jesus and said, I don't, I don't, this wave ain't going to hurt me. No, only one of the disciples jumped out. The rest of them were in the boat. Like they were afraid to actually get out onto the water. But we actually see something else here that Peter, when I asked the question, why would he have said, Lord, I want to come to you? Because in the middle of his storm, he knew there was one place that gave him peace. He knew in the middle of his storm, there was one place to find security and comfort. And even if it was in the middle of the actual storm, he knew the closer he got to his Lord, the more protection he had, the more peace he had, the more security and comfort that he had we got to see this, that even though he jumped out and we're like, why did you do that? He knew that the closer he got to Jesus, the better off he was. But he took his eyes off of the one who is powerful over the storm and ended up putting his eyes on to the storm because he honestly thought the storm at that point was greater than the one who controlled it. And many times I think in our situations, we forget that Jesus is powerful over our storm. You're, you're facing something in life. And you look at whatever situation you're in, and it seems too much to overcome. Like your trial, your, your uh, struggle that you go through seems like a monster. It seems like something that you're just like, God, there's no way that I can get past this. There's no way that I can, I can get through. But what did Peter do? He, even though he took his eyes off of Jesus and he saw that, we see in the next point that we have this morning in the next part of our story we see it's in that moment when you are worried and when you are afraid that your trial your struggle your situation is too much we see God step in our second truth this morning is Jesus is present 
in your storm. It's one thing to talk about God's power. Because I think we all know that God is powerful. Like we all have that. We know that like God created, or maybe, maybe you don't believe that. I don't know. But, but if you're sitting in here, chances are you believe God to be powerful. But what about the fact that Jesus is present in whatever situation you're facing? What does the text say here? Verse 30, after he began to sink, he said three words, Lord, save me. He said three words, Lord, save me. Let me just say, God loves this kind of cry. Whenever you get to a point in your life when you come to the end of your self-reliance and you realize there's nowhere else to turn but to him, he loves that. And what does this say? It says that Peter said, Lord, save me. And what does it say next? Jesus immediately I don't know why I'm feeling this this morning, but let's say immediately together. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. We need to see that because Jesus didn't look and, and, and look at Peter and say, look, man, like I'm tired of fixing your messes. I'm going to let you sink there for a little while. He didn't say, hey, Peter, you know what? You're focused on the storm, and because you took your eyes off of me, I'm done with you. He didn't say that. Jesus didn't look at Peter and say, you know what? I'm not going to help you, period. He didn't say any of that. It says immediately he reached out his hand to save Peter. Some of you need to grasp that this morning. That in the midst of whatever it is you're facing, Jesus is not only powerful over that situation and sovereign and in control over it, Jesus is present there with you. And when we call out to God and say, Lord, save me right now, like I'm struggling and I need you to step into my situation and help me in whatever it is I'm going through, it says Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Understand that he immediately did so. Some of you are saying, look, I've been calling out to God for so long. I don't know what, where he is or what he's going to do. Understand in all those situations in the Old Testament, he did it in his own time. And we don't know God's timing. But the only thing I can tell you is if you're crying out to God for something this morning and you're pressing in toward him, keep pressing. Keep calling out. Keep crying out to God because he loves the cry of his children saying, Lord, save me. Peter called out and said, God, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he saved him. We see this again all through scripture. If we go back, uh, I've referenced it already, but, but Exodus 3, when, when God speaks to Moses in the burning bush, um, he says something that's so crucial for us to know. He says, Moses, I've heard and seen the affliction of my people. I've seen their sufferings. And he doesn't stop there and say, now go fix it. He says, Moses, I've heard the affliction or seen the affliction and heard of what's going on with my people in Egypt and I have come down to rescue them. I've come down. He doesn't leave Moses with the task. God says, no, Moses, I will go with you and be present with you to rescue them. Psalm 116, a Psalm of David, uh, he writes, Lord, I love you because you heard my cry. When my situation, this is Psalm 116, one and two, when my situation was strangling me and I didn't feel like I had anywhere else to turn, I love you because you inclined your ear to me. That literally means bent down on his knee and listened and said, what can I do for you? Jeremiah 1, God calls Jeremiah and says, look, I want you to be a preacher, and I want you to go and fulfill this ministry. And Jeremiah says, look, this is too much. This is more than I can bear. And God says, look, don't be afraid, because I will be with you wherever you go to deliver you. 
This is all through the Bible, and it doesn't stop when this book closes because we can experience the power and the presence of God today. Whatever it is you're facing, Jesus is not leaving you alone. He's not leaving you alone today, but he looks at Peter, and he does say, Oh, you have little faith. Why, why did you doubt? You know, and, and we can read that in multiple ways, but, but it wasn't that Peter needed more faith. I think sometimes, and, and in the, the, some prosperity gospel that's rampant among the world, we think we, we need more faith. Like, how do I get more faith? It wasn't that Jesus was saying, Peter, you need more faith. He was looking and he was saying, Peter, you don't need more faith. You need the object of your faith to be redirected. Because your faith looked, what you put your faith in was that, was that wave that was coming toward you and you couldn't, take it, you couldn't take it on. But if you'd have kept your eyes on me, what would have happened? You would have kept on walking. Peter needed the object of his faith to be redirected. Listen to this statement. Your faith is strong only when the object of your faith is strong. Your faith is strong only when the object of your faith is strong. Some of you have, have come in here this morning and, and you, you're, you're walking through a situation in life and you've got to understand Jesus is powerful over that. He's sovereign. He's in control. He knows all. He knows best. But not only is he powerful over that, he is with you. If you know Jesus this morning and you're a follower of Christ and you're going through whatever it is you're facing, he is with you. It may not always be um, because Jesus is with you easy because ultimately Jesus had to go to a point in his life where it wasn't easy because he went and he, he suffered for our sins and he took every sin that's ever been committed from the start of time to the beginning of time. And if you compress that into one moment, Jesus felt all of that guilt, felt all of that shame, felt all of that worry, felt all of that fear. And he felt that in the moment that he was being crucified and he experienced God's wrath for our sin. And because he didn't give in, because he didn't say, I can't take this anymore, we can know and believe that whenever we feel like we can't give in, we know he's still there. We know he's still there because he didn't give in when he could have. Not only did he die for our sins as our sacrifice, but he came back three days later to show that he has power over the one thing we can't cure, which is death. He showed that he has power over that. Because of that, we know he is present in our storms. So when you have trials and storms and worries and fears overtake you, is when God's presence can be even stronger. Paul speaks of this. James speaks of this in James 1, 2, and 3. He says, in your suffering, that's when your faith grows. Jesus is present with you means he is your strength. When you're weak, he is strong. When you trust in who Jesus really is, the title of the message is, is knowing who changes how. When you trust who Jesus really is, that changes how you respond to him in faith. If you believe and honestly believe that Jesus is the son of God who took away the sin of the world and reigns supreme, then that leads to bolder acts of faith. Because ultimately he is not only in control, he's with you in whatever he asks you to do. But our passage finishes, and I'll finish too. It says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Understand that too. That in the presence of God, there's peace. 
Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tell us that in the presence of God, there is peace. But they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and it said they worshiped him. Truly, you are the son of God. So one immediate, immediate application, I'll go ahead and ask the band if they'll go ahead and come on up. Is when he, <clears throat> when Jesus got into the boat, the wind ceased. But not only did the wind cease, they then professed him to be who he is, which is the son of God. They professed him to be the savior of the world. So this morning I could, I could close with some kind of story or, or, or some kind of like one line or some kind of statement, but that's not how this passage closes. The passage closes that they looked and they said, this is Jesus and they worshiped him. The song we're going to sing says, Jesus, your name is power. You're filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, and we're professing who Jesus is. It's the same things that the disciples did. The day they realized that Jesus is not only powerful over their storm, he is present in their storm.